When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They might talk about human music, film, books, football, and box sets. Exercise and maybe even food Trivia and sports Politics and health Sometimes well-being too On the life with Brian On the life with Brian Coming up on Life with Brian and I say, you're out there eating biscuits, and I'm in here working, bollock naked. He'd rather admit to wearing a blouse than a yeah. Ranger shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blouse and a girl's kilt. <laughs> that is what an ex-Premier League footballer does when they hang up their boots, obviously. <laughs> of course, uh... Hello, and welcome to another Life with Brian. I'm Mark Godfrey, and I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Christ, and of course former Aston Villa and Motherwell striker Brian McClare. How are you both? Have you been up to anything interesting? I'm good. I can only imagine Brian's been up to loads of interesting things. I wouldn't say necessarily interesting. I've been revisiting some C90 cassette tapes and using Shazam to discover exactly what's on some of them. And it's been uh, pretty surprising. So much so that I might invest in a in a new uh, fangled uh, Walkman so, so let, let's get this straight. So you found the cassettes. I didn't have a label on or, or an insert. Oh, some of them. I've, I've, I used to do. I used to do them one, one or two a week. Going back to 1983 through to uh, all, all the way through, really, till till I uh, MP3 came out, and I had uh, an awful lot of them, but I lost quite a few of them. So there's a number of them who didn't didn't have did have names on them, but no uh, card that told you what was on them. So I've been sitting listening to cassettes and using Shazam. So it's been that's been so that that very is, interesting, you know. That is what an ex Premier League footballer does when they hang up their boots, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, <laughs> of course, I'm I'm pleased to hear that you've uh, you've managed to um uh, to to get back some of those Tina Turner albums that you've been missing all these years. Okay, 
Our guest this time is an award-winning actor whose roles have seen him in, amongst other things, uh, Outlander on TV, uh, The Angel's Share on the big screen, Mark Renton in Porno, uh, the follow-up to Train Spotting on stage, and as we're going to talk about today, the play singing I'm Noah Billy, He's a Tim. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Scott Kyle. How are you, Scott? I'm very well, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure. You haven't been going through any old... Uh... C90 cassettes, have you? In the, uh, no, but I do remember them, so that's, that's maybe not a good thing. Yeah, well, they're, come, they're making <laughs> a comeback. Taping yeah, well. uh, the chart, recording the charts. Well, uh, when they were on with your tape recorder ready, trying to get the DJ to shut up so you could just well, tape the songs. <laughs> I remember all that. So, yeah, when Brian was chatting there, I was bringing back memories. Well, according to my research, the first thing that you bought musically was a cassette. Yes, wow. That's I don't know where that is, but that's, that's really... Uh, in-depth research there, and I, and I hope it's the same answer. In my recollection, as it was "Boom Shake the Room" by Will Smith. Is that what you've oh, got on your list? Yeah, that's what I'm classic. Yeah, yeah, wow, "Boom Shake the Room" from Woolworth and Robert. Can you, can you do the stutter? Well. Can you recite the stutter up? <laughs> yeah, big Will Smith come on the TV, and I heard the "Boom Boom Shake the Room," and I was like, I need to go to Woolworths and buy that song. Yeah, <laughs> Brian, Brian never. Yeah, his research knows no bounds. That's, that's all I'm wow, saying. Wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's an intricate deal. You've got me worried, Brian. No, no, <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need to worry at all. It's, 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 been, um, it's been a joy researching. Uh, I find that you to be a very inspirational person. That's very kind of you to say. The, uh, I wanted to start, really, uh, I love daydreaming. I've always daydreamed all my life, and I wanted to ask you about uh, daydreaming and... What was this wee boy daydreaming about? Can you see? Wow, that? Ryan, what are you doing to me? What are you well, doing to me? Well, well the, the thing about that story, I don't know, I don't know how. No, but was, could you remember? Of, could you remember of dreaming then? I'm not not about acting because I know that's something that can't happen later on. But um, dreaming of being, well, I don't know, a football player or. I think yeah, I think there's a few in or there, a Brian. Chef or an, an astronaut, you know. I think there's a couple of things, right? And I, and I, I tell this story. This has been part probably my my uh, my growing up and in, in, in the healing process that happens in life when you're moving to a broken home. Was uh, I, I remember um, always wanting a decent guy to walk through the door that would look after my mum. And that was something I always dreamed of. Like some, like the the next guy that my mum meets up, we'll come through the door and he'll be a good guy. And, uh, and I think as I've grown older a wee bit, I was like, the nice thing is you maybe get, maybe that guy doesn't walk through the door, but you get to walk through the door as that guy. So there's a wee bit of daydreaming about growing up and, and a wee bit of maybe having a bit of a better life in terms of as an adult and, and maybe give it to to, to our kids as a, a bit of a better life. But yeah, you're talking about stuff in terms of, and that wee bit I always said, when I went to college, it wasn't to be an actor, it was to get a better life. That's what I was going was I wanted to do a bit better than what I was doing at that time. Um was was filling the shelves of the supermarket, but yeah, daydreaming. Loved loved football. Grew up uh, playing football. Uh, did alright. I mean, I won like player of the year and stuff at fourteen, but I didn't really start playing till I was about twelve. And uh, we were in an organised team, and uh, and like I was picked up by like Postal United, uh, which was a, quite a big thing in our area. That uh, somebody was coming and picking me up every week to go to Postal. Um, and and to be honest, it came down to finances. Uh, there was there was extra uh, training courses and stuff that I was getting offered to go on and. Uh, I knew that my mum didn't have the money, so I didn't want to ask her for it. Um, so, you know, kind of quitting myself as well as you could, but there was definitely an aspect of the finances involved in developing football any further than I could was was definitely a, a challenge. Um, and in terms of the other picture you brought up, Brian, and embarrassing me there is that's a picture of me 
Um, I used to sing uh, Donald Wears Your Trousers. That was that was a, a song I, I grew up loving. And uh, my mum uh, dressed me up in Halloween um, with, with a kilt on, as far as I was aware. And as it, as it transpired, it was a, I think it was a St. Trinian's school skirt. I think somebody, <laughs> their daughter had grown out of a skirt, and that is a skirt I'm wearing in that that photograph you showed there, Brian. So I had no idea that I'm turning up and chatting people's door and singing Donald Wears Your Trousers, and I wasn't well, aware that, um, that was... I, I, was there, I was wearing a, a schoolgirl's uniform, essentially. <laughs> well, that was normal then, because I, we used to get uh, hand-me-down stuff, you know. And, uh... but I didn't have a big sister. <laughs> no, but I didn't have that. I didn't either. <laughs> don't, so I don't know. My brothers, my brothers' old well, football boots are. It wasn't. Uh, we we get there's there's some pictures somewhere of uh, us wearing kilts round, but maybe a wee bit younger than that. But I'm not quite sure where they are. But the thing that that, that one of the things that uh, traumatized me was getting, um, a, which I thought was a shirt to wear to school. And then discovering I had a real problem button it up because the buttons were on the wrong <laughs> side. <laughs> and then yeah. hoping that nobody's going to spot it, you know, because that's it's just, you know, secondary school, you're very, you know. Well, I wouldn't you imagine this, Brian. Imagine somebody brought you onto a podcast and were showing photographs of you in that blouse. As I'm saying, hopefully none of them exist. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if, if there's anyone out there that's got pictures of Brian wearing that blouse, <laughs> we want to hear from them. Yeah. Another thing that, ha- that you know, about the informative things that, that appears to me to have made a, a big impact on your life and your kind of philosophy in life and your drive, I think, and your, your energy and your ambition is that a little story about you getting jumped when you were 14 and your mates yeah. running away and leaving you. Yeah, that, that was a huge moment, Brian, because we grew up in a kind of a dead end street, um, and it just it was a dead end. I'm not saying it was a dead end area. Just it was actually it was a uh, there was a, there was a dead end at the end of our street, and all the kids went out and played in the park together and played football together, and we went to the football teams together. And at the age of 14, uh, I went up to an area in uh, in, in Rutherglen or South Lanarkshire uh, called Blair Beth, and I, I was I was I was having a wee kiss with a girl uh, up up a street somewhere, and uh, one of the boys came down and said, "Oh, we're fighting with the." the local gang down the corner, come on down. And I'm like, I'm not interested in getting involved in a, a fight in the corner. And a wee bit of peer pressure, and I, and I, I marched down to get involved in it. And uh, and then within, the, within the turn of events, and I ended up getting uh, beaten within an inch of my life um, off of the kind of rival gang. And, uh, and and all my pals, or so-called pals you probably look at, everybody ran away. And there was uh, only one. So give you an idea on this. The, the the guys that were kicking my head and I was fourteen at the time. These guys were kind of seventeen to twenty one, so they were men. They were young men, and I'd got myself into this predicament. Nobody else's fault. I should never have went down. I should never have bowed to the peer pressure. Um, but they were smashing bottles off my head, hitting my knees so that I would collapse. And uh, and there was about three or four girls came along, and the girls were kind of standing over me and putting my leg, their legs in the way of my head, and stopping these guys from smashing my head in. And uh, there was a young lad, Craig Kelly, who who I played in the football team with. Uh, Craig came running back, and uh, and he, he he smacked one of the guys, and they all started chasing Craig. And in that moment, he gave me enough time uh, for the girls to get me up, and I, you know, kind of limped towards kind of Castlemilk Road. And uh, and at that moment, a car stopped, and the guy got out, and he said, "Have you been knocked down?" Now at this point, I've got blood pouring down my face, unbeknown to me, my knees all swell, swollen up, and all that. I'm, I'm absolutely covered in 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 blood. And uh, he says, "Have you been knocked down?" I said, "No, I got attacked." And he, he jumped back in his car and drove away, and left me. 
So if I'd say they'd knocked down, I think you would have took me hospital. And uh, and and I, I kind of I managed to scupper away. Craig Craig later came and kind of got me and kind of carried me home. And that night I, I walked into the house. My brother was babysitting. He was in the house. He was supposed to be in charge looking after me. And I walked in with blood all in my face. And the first thing I said to him was, "Don't tell my mum." And I went in and was washing myself up. My brother would be like, my ear was hanging off. It'd be not cutting all that stuff. And he's like, this is not something you can hide from my mum. You need to go to the hospital. And uh, my mum tells that story. Is that was the first night out she'd had in a decade uh, because she never went out. And that night she was out at a works night out. And the neighbour was supposed to be keeping an eye on us from next door. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, got, uh, I got a very big life lesson there. And that did change. It changed how I looked at friends because I'd never left any of them. And that was a big kind of, Big horrible kind of moment, but we by a learning curve as well. Yeah, so my, my kind of thing, I take it looking back on that moment, we have to follow from that moment, which one you wanted to be that you understood or you got the idea in your head that it was going to be, if you were going to be successful at anything, it was going to be about what you did and make your own decisions about that. And that's the kind of thing I've got, mm-hmm. you say, from reading about you and listening to you uh, over the last couple of days that, that you've, yeah, you You've used that very much, you know, right through everything you've done. Well, those are the sort of things, Brian, that when, when you go into situations, maybe in additions and stuff, like obviously when I did the Angel Share, the Ken Loach movie, I was playing the antagonistic bully, Clancy. You wouldn't want to channel some of those guys you'd met along the way, you know, the sort of guys you wouldn't want to mess with, you wouldn't want to, uh, you wouldn't want to meet in the street and the, uh, that were maybe heading in a certain direction in life and you'd be able to take on board some of those traits that you'd seen over the years growing up in Glasgow and create a character, and also uh, in Kajaki, which was a British war movie. Um, so kind of grew up in, in Glasgow with gang culture, um, and then I got to play the kind of soldier. So in, in, in the audition for Kajaki, they said, uh, you know, how do you think you would feel if you were standing in the minefield and your mate's just have his leg blown off? And I said, well, I have no idea to comprehend how that would feel for for either person involved in that situation you gave us. But I said, I've played football and I've seen the goalkeeper with his knee snapped. And I know that that's going to affect his work, his family life, you know, financially it's going to impact him and all that stuff. And you're standing there, you know, kind of uh, the, the reality of, of the risks of playing playing the sport you like as well. So it's not the same as standing on the mind, but, uh, you know, that's as, as close as I can get to and giving you an idea of the emotions you feel when you see somebody else going through something that is life-changing. Yeah. Um, Angel Share, I think, is a wonderful film. Um, and I love... Um, Ken Loach's films anyway, and I love the way that he inspires actors to, to participate in that. And yeah, but you've worked on it. I mean, I've heard different mm-hmm. bits and pieces though. But one of the funniest things I've ever heard in, in a film is when um, John Henshaw's character takes the lads to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I was living in Edinburgh at the time, so standing on Prince's Street, and uh, Gary Maitland's character yeah. turn, turns around and says, "What is that? What's that up there?" <laughs> And uh, John Henshaw looks up as if he's daft and says, well, that, that's the castle. And John Maitland says, well, what did they put it up there for? <laughs> and I just think that was absolute... And there's no answer to it, you know. I yes. just thought that was wonderful. So yes. did, did John did Gary come out with that himself or was that a See, well, that, part well, of the... That particular scene, I, I can't I give anybody credit for, for that piece of comedy genius. So I don't know uh, if that was if that was Paul Lafferty, the writer, or if that was improvisation. But what I would say is that it was one of the, the greatest experiences in terms of being an actor working with Ken Loach because of the 
the freedom to improvise. Uh, the it, it was encouraged. Uh, it was uh, uh, it, we, a lot of the time you were turning up on set and there wasn't a script. They would give you a scenario and a situation, and the cast would improvise something. If they needed the script, they would give you. It. If they thought, oh, you're way off, this is not what we wanted to film. But they would kind of give you a steer and see how you would play around that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that so I, I imagine it could have been improvised, but I, I don't want to do uh, Paul Laffey a disservice if he did <laughs> no, write that. But, uh, but yeah, nervous. absolutely. Brita, uh, comedy brilliance. And the same, I suppose, the bit at the start. And all oh, yeah, it was real big. Yeah, of was course. Is it Ford yeah. Kierman? Is, yeah. is the voice of God? <laughs> Step he, back, he, yeah. He carries character like, is that God? And he falls on the railway tracks, you know, kind of. Um, and, uh, and Ford Kierman's character saying, it is God, and they get your arse off the train. It's extreme tracks. Before the train coming. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. But that was a great experience, Brian. That was, uh, I remember, the, the, the only negative about working with Ken Loach, I don't mind sharing this, uh, one of the days I was I was told uh, by the kind of makeup team that I had to go for a sunbed, so I went for a, a sunbed. And uh, when I reported back to them, they said, "How many have you had?" And I said, "It's only one, but I, I went a nine minute one, and I, I I was I was I was bright red." They said, "Don't do any more, right?" And we turned up to just down at Parkhead Forge. This day we we're filming. The bear mind, I don't know what we're doing other than I've been sent for a sunbed. Uh, we arrive and we're filming in a sunbed shop, with they, which they've put up a new sign and stuff. And I walk in and uh, I start to get the feeling that my character's going to be in the sunbed. Hence, I'm starting to get worried that it might be a nude scene. All right. So again, no script. So I don't know what's happening. Uh, and then uh, Ken comes around and he kind of says, this is the scene where your characters went for a sunbed and uh, Paul Brannigan, who plays Robbie in it in the lead, uh, he's coming to kind of seek revenge on you. So he breaks into the salon that you're in he opens up the sunbed and he puts a blade to your throat. And uh, and I said, so it's a nude scene then? And he says, well, the girl in the shop, you know, we are smiling, he says, so the girl in the shop said, uh, there's these paper pants. So it proceeds to pull out this, it looks like a black thong, right? <laughs> these paper pants that he shows me. And he said, the girl said that they give them out, so you're, you're welcome to wear them. And I, I knew at that moment, I was like, I've grown up in Glasgow. I'm playing the, 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 the baddie, the Glasgow thug in a Ken Loach movie. And I thought, this guy cannot be wearing the paper pants in the sunbed, right? Yeah. I because I thought, you know, you go into a cubicle door, you lock the door, you take your clothes off to go into the sunbed. Even if you're supposed to, most Glaswegian guy has nobody wear the wee paper pants. And I thought the only reason you go and watch the paper pants in, in the movie, my pals will be saying, well, you didn't want to get your, your willy out. So I was like, I need, to, I need to do the nude scene. So I said, if it's a nude scene, they said, how do you feel about that? I said, look, it is what it is, that's the job. So uh, fast forward, we're filming all day. I'm naked. There's 20 people around me at all times filming. Uh, we're about halfway through the day, and Ken pops his head in the door. Now, Ken uh, still uses the old reels of film, so he, he hadn't converted to digital yet. So he's so when they have to change the film, it's a wee bit of time to, to put a new one in. So he pops his head in and says, Scott, just changing the film reel. Uh, we in a couple of minutes, and he's eating a biscuit. And I says, you are out there eating biscuits, and I'm in here working, bollock naked. Um we, we finished the filming and then that was it. So we're going to the movie premiere maybe 12 months later. Uh, we're a big red carpet in Glasgow. And first time being a movie star, it's exciting. Uh, so I'm briefing my mum and my gran and all that, by the way, just so as you know, there's a scene in it where I've got no clothes on. Watch the movie, Brian. And the scene's not in the movie. Right? Doesn't make a movie. And I am raging. <laughs> not just because it's my screen time cut, but I'm going, 12 hours, bollock naked in front of 20 people. You know, guys eating rolls and sausage and that kind of stuff. And I'm there acting my heart out with no clothes on. And uh, when I spoke to Paul and Ken later on, I says, how did you, why did you cut that? And he said, 
uh, uh, the arc of the story, if you've seen it, you'll know. The idea is that uh, Paul, it, yeah. Paul's character at the end, Robbie, ch- changes his life and decides to make better choices. And they were of the mind that if he came back to get that revenge, he's not making better choices. He's not really changed. So they cut the scene for that. But they did put it in the deleted scenes and I have it on my show reel, I'm delighted to say. Yeah, so it, yeah. it, it didn't go to waste. It didn't go to yeah, waste. No, I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talking of, um, we've talked about your life growing up in, in Glasgow and, and your acting career, and that kind of brings us on nicely to, to yeah, I wanted to talk about this uh, this play you, you, you're involved with. Um, <clears throat> say, uh, singer, I'm no Billy, he's a Tim. Um, can you just tell us a bit about the premise of the play and uh, what people can expect? Yeah. Uh, well, you expect a lot of laughter. Um, there's a it's laughing, dancing, singing, and crying. That'll probably you can get. A, that's a summary <laughs> of what you're going to see. Uh, but ultimately, it's uh, it's the day of the of, of the big football match. So uh, Rangers are playing Celtic, or Celtic are playing Rangers. Whatever whatever side you whatever you want to come first. Um, and and two lads uh, have been arrested for non-payment of fines. Now this part of the story, according to Des Dillon, who wrote it, is based on true events that everybody in Coke Bridge on the morning of the old firm game. Were, were arrested for non-payment of fines and their, their wives and family now ran round to get the money to pay the fines so as they could get out to see the game. So so that's essentially what's happening in the play. The guys have got uh, money on the match and whoever wins, their wives will collect the money from the bookmakers, uh, pay their fines and that person will get out. So obviously the, the stakes are very, very high. Uh, the, the, the two characters are Billy and Tim. So Billy obviously is a Rangers fan and Tim's a Celtic fan and they come crashing into the prison cell this day uh, and they are looked after by Harry, who's the turnkey. Uh, they persuade Harry to let, let them watch the, the match through the hatch. So they're having shot seats, you're watching the match as it unfolds. As the drama unfolds on the pitch, there's also drama unfolding in Harry's world. So Harry is uh, is waiting on a, a phone call about his sick grandson. His grandson's in for an operation. So as the game unfolds, the, the guys are getting an insight into the match, but they're also getting an insight into Harry's life. And, uh, and as it unfolds, as as the roller coaster of events from the the operation theatre coming through, the guys start to kind of try and support Harry, who's having a tough time a wee bit, and it kind of brings them a bit together, you know, kind of bit. There's everything you can imagine in a comedy like this. Even the idea of just putting them a Rangers fan and a Celtic fan in a cell together is funny. Putting them in a cell together on the day of the old mat, the, the old firm game, even more so. Um, and it's a ninety-minute roller coaster of emotions, as I say, singing, dancing, laughing, and everything to expect in a in, a, in an old firm play, really. But uh, it's a brilliant piece of theatre. And I always say that first and foremost, if you if you remove the tops out, it it still stands alone as a brilliant piece of theatre. It could be, you know, it could be a sunny Shiite, it could be Israeli Palestine, it could be Montague Capulet. The the premise of the play is so good, it really works. Um, and and. I found the play in a library almost two decades ago, and uh, that that is the, the story of the play's been an adventure as well on a roller coaster. I had the play for five years. We started it in pubs. We built it to the biggest show in Scotland. Then I lost the rights to the show, and I went away and did a number of other things, including all the stuff we've discussed, the movies and TV shows and stuff. And then uh, about four or five months ago, I got the chance to take the rights back for the show and do it again. So, uh, so yeah, that that's an interesting uh, story itself. Yeah, I mean. You, you mentioned Cope Bridge there. I mean, we can't bypass that without mentioning that's obviously Brian's <laughs> stomping ground. So, I mean, did, did it ring a bell with you, Brian? That sort of uh, that kind of caper, not being locked up in a cell. I'm not for once accusing. <laughs> I well, yeah, of course. I yeah, you can see you can see the relevance to all the different things. Uh, um, I've not I've not seen it, uh, but I'm looking forward to going to see it because. Uh, 
you're going to be all over the place, aren't you? So there'll be some places close by to wherever I am at a particular moment, you know, that uh, I'll get along. But um, I won't be telling you where I'm coming because I don't want to get mentioned because I know uh, yeah, that's but, something, yeah, yeah. something that's happened in the past, you know, where you've you get a roll call and yeah. people get a mention, you know, so I might, I might keep it quiet. So, but, uh, you know, and I mean, I think that like anything is that the Des has written it from his own experiences, hasn't he? So that often the best stuff is about what you see and relevant to your thing. And, and the humour, of course, is is wonderful, particularly. I, I, I've got this thing that I think there's a, that not everybody, but a lot of people in the West of Scotland are just funny. You yeah. know, they have an ability to tell stories and the ability to tell jokes. And I think that from, I think maybe that's one of the things that that I gathered that when you uh, were given the opportunity to go to college, I know you went to college to get to become to get away from stacking shelves, but you chose um, or you, you tried to get into um, an acting course without really knowing very much about it. And I think that your um, desire, your energy, and your experiences of your karaoke, your experiences of telling jokes, gets you through the bit where you've no, you've no idea why should you know what a monologue is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, can and then you said you did. Can you remember exactly what it was you did? Because you, you know, they asked you about so the day it, when I, then, yes. So just a wee bit of context, so I, I, I remember, I remember the letter that I got from the college, and, and the reason I remember it is because it put me in a very embarrassing situation and. Subsequently, they changed the way they worded the letter. So the letter that I received from the college that I'd applied to go to to do this acting course that my now wife had talked me into, it said, you'll be asked to perform from memory a monologue. I didn't know what a monologue was, but I thought, all right, it's it's obviously a memory test. So when I arrive, they're going to give me this thing and I need to memorise it. So I skip into the college and uh, I, uh, I go in and there's an interview party at first. Which I'm sitting, you know, and I'm being honest with you. Know, I want to change my life. I'm, I'm really keen. I'll, I'll be here every day. I won't mess these about. You know, it's a huge opportunity. I'd like to do it. And they said, brilliant. Okay, Scott, on you go with your audition piece. And I said, audition piece? I don't have an audition piece. And they said, oh, you were asked to prepare one. And I says, no, I wasn't asked to prepare anything. I said, I was, I was, I, I, I was asked to, I was going to do a memory thing. And they're like, yeah, monologue. That's an audition piece. That's, that's what you're supposed to prepare. I says, oh, I thought you meant you'll be asked to perform from memory, as in you would give me, I have to memorise it. So they, they, subsequently they changed the letter, the way they worded because of me. But uh, at that moment they said, oh, that's fine, doesn't it really matter, it's fine, uh, we'll give you an improvisation. And the improvisation, to answer your question, Brian, was uh, just imagine you've auditioned today and you've got into the course, you get the letter in the house, so imagine you've just you've just received a letter in the house, on you go. So obviously, you know, I, I walk to my front door in my imagination, pick up the imaginary letter, do a bit of miming to open it, read it, uh, process it, and then I run around the room like I've just scored a, a goal in the World Cup final to celebrate, you know, kind of, and all the antics that I'd ever seen any footballer doing. I was pulling it all out the hat in this edition. And uh, after that, they, they they accepted me onto the course. And I still think to this day, I don't know whether they felt a pity for me or if it was my postcode coming for the area I came from. If I, if I matched a criteria they were trying to fill, I don't know. But but bless those three uh, judges on the panel for, for giving me a chance. 
and I never thought from from getting into the course of Nono Monologue was three years later I graduated top of my class with a theatre company, and five years later the biggest show in Scotland. I five years after that was running a theatre, and this was a wee guy that didn't know what a monologue was, you know. So a bit of an incredible journey within that as well. You're listening to Life with the Brian. I'm just waiting for Sparky to do his own podcast, but this one came along <laughs> first, so... Chucky will back me up on this. Anything deep fried tastes great. <laughs> it was uh, Robbie Williams, and he's like, Dominic, you survived the 90s as well. How did we do it? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I just was thinking there when you were talking about, <clears throat> about the play, um, whenever we get someone on from, from Glasgow, either side of the divide, <clears throat> I'm always interested in their sort of experience of this sort of bitter <laughs> divide that, that exists. Um, it, it was... In the plane, you, you're obviously experiencing both sides of it, and you've obviously worked with a lot of Celtic fans. And I think your brother's a Celtic fan, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so I just, yeah. I just wonder how your what your experiences of that uh, rivalry have been in your life. I mean, some people manage to avoid the the the, the shit that goes with it, but no, there's like... no avoiding it growing up. So um, the character I play, Billy, is based on a, a family of three brothers, and uh, within the family, I grew up with these guys. Uh, there's three levels of bigotry within these brothers. One is extreme, <laughs> to, to the extreme of the extreme. Uh, there's a kind of middle ground, uh, and there's somebody who goes to the games but isn't that first. And from, obviously, the, the play goes on a roller coaster, so there's times where the bigotry is, you know, it turn, turn that bigotry monitor up, and it's the full volume. And there's other times where the guys are coming round to maybe seeing a wee bit of the other person's point of view. So there's quite an extreme range in there, and, and the way I managed to find the truth for the character was to to find the truth through the three brothers. Um, and, and I had a, a really unique experience. Uh, when I was doing Billy and Tim, somebody offered me a chance to go and see a Rangers and Celtic game at Ibrox. So in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go as Billy, as the character. I'm going to go that day and, and experience it, how this character would be experienced that going to the match every week. And I met the three brothers in the subway station that I'd, I'd, I was building my character on. So it was surreal. I was there going as the three of them and I met them in the subway. And how it unfolded was, I was in the subway at Senate Centre. I'm downstairs, and uh, and and the, the the youngest brother comes down first, and he's the mildest. So I say, oh, "How are you doing?" You know, he's chatting away to me. You know, kind of, he's not singing songs, he's no uh, shouting profanity, he's no drunk, he's okay. And I say, "I'm going to the football match," and, and he's he's part of, uh, he's he's a twin. So you normally you see the two. And I says, "Where's where's your other half?" And he says, "He says, oh, he's 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 upstairs. Uh, uh, the older brother's there as well, and he's been sick." 
so he's bringing him down, right? And I'm going, this is starting to all actually take shape. So the younger brother comes down, and uh, he's no way the older brother. I'm saying, how are you doing all that? And he's, you know, he's he's got uh, he maybe been singing as he comes around the corner. And I'm like, how are you doing? Uh, singing a sectarian song. How are you doing? And he says, uh, I'm all good. And I says, where's your older brother? He's always upstairs. You know, he's being sick, and then he's shouting at the guards and he's singing. He's going to get the jail, right? And I'm like, all right, cool. So, uh, so, uh, so, so then five minutes later, the older brother comes comes down and uh, and uh, and I. Uh, I get to meet him as well. So he's he's pumped up the sectarian and he's saying certain things and doing certain things. So uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's uh, it's uh, and then I got on the subway with him. So the threes are on a subway and uh, and you you can imagine the singing and everything else. And as it unfolds, I start to say you know I say if you're ever doing a movie, you need to play me, Scott. And I'm saying I'm actually playing you in a bloody <laughs> play, you know, you know, that's his research for it. Uh, so yeah, I grew up with those three, but my brother was yes, was grew up as kind of Celtic and we didn't have a dad around, so it wasn't it like a, there was a family allegiance? I, I don't know if my brother's my brother picked Celtic, and I don't even know if I picked Rangers just to spite him, to be honest. You know, I'm not sure yeah. what was it, but obviously like anything, you then on the days of the matches, you you go with your pals that are wearing the colours that, that you're aligned to, and my brother would do the same. So there's mixed families all the way through it. Um, so so that I, an understanding of it and growing up, I'd be honest, I'd probably be a bit of ignorance to what I thought sectarianism was. Because I thought, you know, I've, I've been guilty of singing songs that I didn't know the meaning of. Uh, and, you know, you learn that from doing workshops in the schools and stuff and you're educating other people and you're going, geez, I was a kid myself singing some of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the big hit was when we went to Belfast and you realised that the people in Northern Ireland have had to live with the consequences of sectarianism. Whereas in Glasgow, we've kind of, we've kind of got the big match and a bit, a, a, that, that day, it's maybe quite intense, but it kind of it, it filters away as the week goes on and people got back on with their life and... Uh, as as the healing from the match, whatever side you're on, happen, happens to to, yeah. to go on or back Monday, and it's kind of all forgot about nearly, you know. But it's such a unique rivalry, probably more so in it than any other football game in the world, really. But as Brian says, you're taking the play all over the place. So, do you think it's a story that transcends that sort of rivalry? You know, if you go to Swansea, if you go to Sunderland, if you go to Liverpool, if you go, you know, it's something that people understand just in the but in their local area. Yeah, one one hundred percent. As I said, it's it's about two human beings that locked up in a prison cell that don't like each other, and that you could put any flag on that, any nationality or any any kind of circumstances, and it would still work. Um, but I think with the football added to, it, I mean, football's biggest sport in the world. You know, we've got the World Cup, we've got the Champions League. Uh, people all over the world know the stakes. There's always a a a, a derby wherever you are in the world. You know that's Milan Inter Milan. You know, can I, um you can you can go to any country in the world and there's a, a big derby, and that's the the priest. It's just it's set that the, the the story unfolds on the day of this big derby. So I think anybody from you know it could easily be a a Man United fan and a Man City fan in the prison cell. Mm. Uh, you know, a Liverpool Everton. It could be you know kind of anything. So yeah. Coat Bridge Airdrie. <laughs> but I was going to say, Brian, have you, when we had Bobby Bluebell on, we were talking about your experience of the old firm rivalry, but is it a, something that's completely unrecognisable from when you were growing up as a kid, the Celtic Rangers game to what it is now? And I think it's um, not as... I, I still think there is, particularly on the day, like um, that Scott was saying, that you know, it can separate families. And, but I think that the thing at the moment, which is there's disappointing us and it's... Is that there's not a way fans, you know. I know they've been chatting about it, and hopefully yeah. in the next game at uh, at Ibrox there will be some away fans at it. But when I was playing, that part of the, the enjoyment was, you know, the 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 atmosphere in the ground, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, from kickoff, you know, I'd no, I'd no um, experiences of it because I'd never been there. The first Old Firm game I, I was at, I came on a sub, you know, so that I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't experienced what it was really like outside or anything like that, you know, or, or travelling different trains and different ways to get to the games. Uh, but I definitely think there's some missing from the game at the moment with the, with the, with the, with the fans. I mean, you're, you're probably never going to get to the, the situation when, when there would be 10,000 mm. away fans at either ground, you know, which was a, which I thought a really brilliant atmosphere. Um, yeah, that has its own problems and issues, but, um, I mean, I think that's something that's, it depends on where you are, I suppose, you know. Some areas will be very much one way and other areas will be very much another way and it'll just yeah. depend on sometimes the time of year, you know. But in general, I don't really feel in the west of Scotland there is uh, a great attention paid to it, you yeah, know. But, but around the world there is, and I, I know maybe not so much when you were playing, but you watch a, an old firm game, you know, I've spent a lot of time in America, and it could be for anywhere, you know, the old firm game, wherever you are, is massive. And I always think there must be, that must be quite daunting if you're playing in that game to realise that you're playing in a game where the people are watching in, all over Ireland, all over America, Australia, all over the world, and a goal or a mistake you make can... Is, is global. Can mean the difference between having a television and not having a television. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, really, I mean, it's the thing is, when you're there, I mean, the 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 pitch for me was was the the stage for the football player. Uh, when you're on that, you're there to play football and do whatever you can. Very rarely did I consider um, what might be a consequence of me either scoring a goal or missing a chance or. or or doing any of those other things. Half time, you maybe get a wee bit of an idea, but I was only down to one person, that usually the manager and what he was saying about it, or the coach and other people involved. Uh, you would sometimes, depending on where you went to pick up the ball, if you did go to do that to get the game restarted quickly, you might hear one or two little things, but in general, you were just focused, you know, I think that's the thing, you're focused on it. I mean, I've heard... Um, Scott say the same sort of thing when they're when he's on stage, you know, he he, he tries to get into he tries to first of all meditate, I think, relax and get into character and hope that uh, everything runs as smoothly as possible, which it's not going to always, particularly in a, a play like you're going to be involved in over the next eighteen months where it changes and it can change depending on the news of the time. Yeah, and it can change on the audience of the night as well. Of course, yeah, you yeah, know. I, I think I told the story before in Dublin, and it was ninety nine point nine percent Celtic fans. It's a very different night to you know a night maybe where the majority is the blue side, and you're going, oh, there, I've got, I've got some in tonight, and so so it depends where you're going in Belfast and stuff like that. It was you know it's fifty fifty. We're coming along here, and that's intense doing the show there. And, and I, just, then I just wanted to pick up, Brian. Sorry on the yeah, sorry, you go, thing yeah. you're saying about the the crowd. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's a sad day that the crowd aren't there, and there was a great bit in the in the theatre show um, where events have unfolded, and the two boys have fell out, and Tim, the Celtic fan, isn't he taking his turn watching the TV? And Billy says, "Come on, it's, it's, there's, it's, there's no point here without and there's no use without an enemy." And there's an an aspect of that with the big matches when they're watching it, but I, I do think uh, I think I think Rangers initiated it by saying Celtic couldn't come to Ibrox and and and. and too old-fashioned, tit-for-tat state Celtic say, well, you can't come to us then. And um, I think, unfortunately, what happened was it was easier for the police to manage it 
because actually on the old firm day they kind of like whatever stadium you're at they kind of pretty much divide around the stadium so you can't travel there so that certain fans go in one direction certain fans go in the other and only having one group of fans is a lot easier for the police to manage it's a lot easier for transport it's a lot easier and I think there's a wee bit of they did something and there was an unintended consequence that police in that were going this is actually much better because we know that it's all green it's all green Celtic fans that are going to Parkhead at the home match and then it's all blue Rangers fans that are going to Ibrox and they don't have that thing of are they going to be on subways together as their mixed crowds so, yeah. but hopefully it does. You say where's, right, the, where's the fun in that, though? I mean, that's the police yeah, making, like that's uh, that's having that's an easy life, isn't it? It did have an impact on, on the results, certainly. Uh, I think so. Rangers, who were having a tough time at the time, started to get a wee bit of better results by just not having the Celtic fans there. Because obviously, if there's, uh, even if it's only seven hundred or a thousand or a smaller number of Celtic fans, if they're winning all the time, then it, it does rub it into the 50,000 blue noses that are sitting there watching their team getting beat. So, uh, so yeah, but it, it, it's, that's the desires to get it back. And Brian, you touched on, it'd be amazing if we went back to the kind of the good old days where there was a, a whole stand well, of, was, of the opposition. Well, yeah, if you'd have, you'd have a, yeah, certainly more than a thousand people would make a, a big difference. Some some would, I mean, a thousand, nine hundred does make a difference. Of course it does, because, you know, you, you, you want it as, as a, a team. And this is a thing we've talked about time and time again about VR's kind of robbed is celebrating a goal, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and if you if you're a, this, even if there's only nine hundred people there to be able to go over without causing mm-hmm. you know going right up and diving into crowd suffering ah. and all that kind of thing, but to go and celebrate with them for at that moment in time and whether it's at Celtic Park or whether it's at Ibrox is is something that uh, that's that you you should be allowed to do and it should happen. It should be a great memory, you know. And touching on what you were saying as well, the, the, the view and the fans watching it all around the world want to see it. That's what adds to the atmosphere. That's why the, the, that is really hard because the football, the football, the, te- the television folk, they want the atmosphere and they want the tribalism, but they don't want the bigotry, understandably. They don't want the sectarianism. Oh, no. Um, but, but so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very fine line they're treading, you know, because mm-hmm. they're wanting the standing in and they're wanting those fans that sing and are passionate and everything else. And, but they're, they're, they're kind of wanting to tidy it up as well. And, and that's that's the, the the balance that they're trying to get right. But definitely the the, the, the big companies and TVs want the atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? They want the atmosphere. They want the passion. Uh, and as you say, Brian, you know, if, if, if Celtic score and they run into that 1,000 or 2,000 fans, you know, that's great television. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. Not so much if it's not and vice versa. If it's if it's a Rangers player scoring a park head, there's, there's drama and theatre in that as well. You know, just, just, just talking about that um, with regards to crowds and I know you've played all over the place but you've got a lovely little story about playing in Berlin eh? oh yeah regards to crowd reaction yeah or so, um, a perception of crowd reaction so perception so, so uh, first of all we've done Berlin uh, we did two shows in Berlin um, we also did the lifers down in Greenock and that was the first time that they brought the male and female prisoners together for the show so that was kind of funny. It was like going back to school because all the guys were shown off in front of the women. Do you know what I mean? It was really <laughs> funny. It was being at you know, kind of primary school or high school where the, the guys are going, oh, the girls are in, we'll show off. So that, that was down in Green for Life. But in, in Berlin, so we went in, into Berlin and uh, even going in is a daunting process. I, I'd never been in a prison uh, visiting or, 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 or for a, an overnight or anything. So going in, you're going in the van and they open up the security gates. The van goes in, they check the van for explosives and anything else. And then they, they open up the other gate and they let the van through eventually. So that itself and handing over your mobile phone and all your stuff is a, is a kind of 
I don't an experience. And then we went in and it was the chapel at Berlin we were going to be performing in. So we went in and we were kind of getting set up and stuff. And we did an afternoon show and we were having a Johnny Cash moment, if, if, if truth be told. We're in a prison doing a show about two guys in a prison. It's kind of, you know, it's one of those kind of moments of going, right, we're having our Johnny Cash, uh, Folsom Prison Blues here. <laughs> so, uh, so we're in the afternoon. So we do, we do two shows, there's one at night, but the afternoon show, um, all the all the kind of prisoners come down and they're all sitting there, you know, waiting to see the show. And we we start the the show and there's a bit in the show. I won't I won't give it away, but there's a bit in it where, and all the way through it, the guys walk a fine line between they push the boundaries all the time, and it's tit for tat, tit for tat. And at one point, um, Kim the Celtic fan reveals something that uh, that that Celtic fans would go, no way, right, no way. So at that we know that in certain crowds, there's, I can hold it for longer when it needs to be done to to make them squirm, and there's other times I can I can answer it quicker uh, because it's intense. And at uh, this time, I hadn't I hadn't even really had time to think about it. He said his line, and a guy got in the front row at Berlin, a big, big, uh, strong looking macho man got up and stormed it. And I'm on stage, and I'm going, I should have said that line earlier. The next, because I, I I I take the Mickey, you know, so I take the Mickey of what he said, and it diffuses it, right? And uh, so I say the line and everything, and he, he, he heads off, and we don't see him. And uh, and I'm thinking, oh, God, we're going to cause a riot in the prison, right? These guys are about to murder us and cause a riot. Well, they'll be on the roof. They'll be on the roof soon enough, right? This is, they're going to upset them that much. And uh, as the kind of play unfolds, the guy walks back and takes his seat back in the front row. And I'm thinking maybe he's calmed down. Maybe he stood at the door and he's watched it and he's seen me, you know, kind of give, give him stick for what he said. And uh, at the end of the, the show, also we get a, a, a round of applause and stuff like that. And I'm chatting to the prison guards. I says, God, when that big guy got up, I thought we'd fair upset him, you know. And uh, and he says, well, Big John? Oh, he was just in that way for the toilet. <laughs> the guy got up to go for a pee. It just so happens he went for it a bit in the play that we were worried about. It <laughs> wasn't bothering his shirt. He just needed to go to the toilet. So uh, so yeah, but but uh, but that's what I mean. That that's the environment that's created that that in amongst us, and and that's something. If I'm being honest, what Brian said, you're trying not to let the environment uh, affect you. You know, as a player or as an actor, you're like when I was doing Dublin, and it was 1,300 Celtic fans, you know, and a couple of blue voices in there, you know, probably my mammy or something like that. But you're you're trying not to be intimidated. You're trying not to let that atmosphere. But it's very hard to do. And you can do your meditation, do your focus, and try and drown out that crowd. Uh, but there is just certain times where it can affect you. And I, I think that's why the crowds are so important. We, we've seen that in lockdown when the crowds disappeared. Football was, was a, wasn't a patch on what it is when the, when the crowds are back in, you know? So would you say that gives you the biggest buzz as an actor, especially obviously not on the screen, but on the stage? The biggest buzz you can probably get is that interaction with the crowd, seeing a crowd react. Um, I mean, probably... I'm, if you think what it was like, must have been like playing football behind closed doors a few years ago. I can Im- imagine that would probably be the worst scenario for you: is playing to some a crowd that just doesn't have any any interest. Or well, it's, it's interesting, and I, I remember Billy Connolly telling me about, about audiences. I grew up watching Billy's uh, VHS videos. We're talking about the cassette recorders, <laughs> I grew up with the VHSs, and uh, and one of the things I remember of an interview, and he said, "Where, where the where the living's tough, the crowds are really good." You know, where, it, where, it's, where it's a working kind of class town or an area, you know, like say a Coat Bridge and an Airdrie where people have to work really hard to get by. They, they, they want to laugh. Uh, they, they really enjoy their night out. And I think I think it was Aberdeen. We went up to in Aberdeen and uh, and they were very quiet. And I, I, we kind of came off at half time. I don't know if they're enjoying it as much as the Glasgow crowds. And I think maybe it's 
you know, maybe it's just it's, it doesn't ha- hear as much. And, and actually, we were wrong. What, what it was is it was a, it was a theater crowd, and they were respecting the actors by being quiet throughout the show. But at the end, the applause was explosive. You know, a standing ovation, and a, you know everybody um, uh, clapping like mad. It was it was it was incredible. And I think over the course of it, you realise in different places sometimes there are listening audience, and that that comes with experience. You, you kind of the, the show depending. There's, there's some nights you're in a crowd where you know it's a non theatre going crowd. They want to sing along and all that stuff. And what you're trying to do with them is go trust. Like your team's been represented. There's two guys on stage. We've been rehearsals in this. I mean, Colin and I did the show for five years. We're bloody good at it. Do you know what I mean? Like we we don't need uh, anybody to think that we're not going to cover anything. Everything gets covered. It's 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 a fair fight. Do you know what I mean? It's it's fifty fifty tit for tat. Um, but but yeah, the the, the depender. I mean, a Saturday night crowd compared to a Tuesday night crowd is very different. It's also a Saturday night. They've maybe been in the pub a bit longer, and the atmosphere kicks in a bit more. There's what, what I always say is that we, we before the show we play house music, and it's normally we play the songs that we played at Ibrox before a match, and the songs that we played at Parkhead. So it's, it's tip for tat. So simply the best will maybe be on the Rangers fans are stamping their feet, and then you'll never walk alone comes on. The Celtic fans are stamping their feet a bit harder <laughs> than the Rangers fans, and it and it's so it starts right off. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. <laughs> The, the, big, the big crowds and on the, the Friday, Saturday nights is phenomenal. That's pretty long we've done with this tour. We've kept it to Friday and Saturday nights. And that's both because Paul and I have got families and other stuff going on as well now that we don't really want to be doing the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. We're quite happy doing the big nights and just having a longer tour. Yeah, Brian noticed that you weren't, <clears throat> Cope Bridge wasn't on the tour. So uh, maybe that's because you couldn't, you know, the, the crowd on a Saturday night in Cope Bridge would be too much to... Uh... Well, it depends where it is. We are, we're doing every town hall. So, I mean, oh, well, that's close the, enough. We, 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 email, we email every venue we can we can in the country and see if they'll take it. And there's a number of reasons. I know like Motherwell's, uh, their theatre's closed at the moment down in Motherwell. Um, so I think that's like, something to do with the, the brickwork or asbestos or something. So the theatre's actually closed down there. So, uh, but... But no, no theatres off the cards. I, I, I we email people all the time, and uh, there's there's multiple reasons. Sometimes people have got a program; they're busy for a year, and you have to go in the following year. So, uh, so yeah, I think this show tour forever, and it can travel. It can travel the world. You can go to Australia, and you find Rangers and Celtic supporters clubs there. Canada, you know, America. Uh, there's a, there's a Rangers supporters club in Dubai. Celtic have a convention every year, Las Vegas. So there's scope to to take the play all over the world. And uh, and I, I wouldn't mind a wee holiday to Australia or a wee trip to Dubai yeah. or uh, a wee weekend in Las Vegas. Well, you, you mean you weren't you weren't invited to the Middle East like Brian was last uh, last summer? No, no, no yet. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Celtic sports club in Dubai as well. Yeah, Brian's finding Brian's looking for them all just to <laughs> see, see what he can see what he can uh, see what he can schedule off each one of them. When you're just talking about your crowd in Aberdeen, there, Scott, that uh, when Alex Ferguson was a manager of Aberdeen. He was asked, was he, was he a bit disappointed after a victory that the crowd were a bit more excited? And he said, I knew how excited they were. They were very excited because I could hear them rustling their sweetie papers. <laughs> <laughs> Scott. But there's, there's another aspect of the show that there's a life in it um, in terms of we could easily, the, the, the character, the actor that plays the turnkey James has, has been doing it for years, but we've always looked at how we can mix the show up. One of them we were looking at was, could we bring in a kind of famous face to play the turnkey, you know, to, because it's a smaller part, it's a bit easier to remember. So you never know, Brian, if you dust off your uh, your acting, your acting uh, shoes, you, we, might, we might be able to get you in for a wee cameo as the, as the jailer. 
You know, and I know uh, I don't know Charlie. Oh, I, t- I tell you what, I, 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 see see what see what Morris Johnson's up to these days. And see if he's, uh, he's <laughs> yeah. had any acting lessons. That's it, exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kenny Miller, eh? you know. Uh, Scott, we had um, we had Packy Lee from Peaky Blinders on a while back, and he said that even though he's had a he, he had obviously a big, pretty prominent role in one of the world's biggest TV shows and um, loads of other projects that he's done, uh, he's still had to take quote unquote normal jobs uh, to pay the bills. Uh, and I heard you on another podcast saying that um, you had to do uh, exactly the same during lockdown. Yeah, so uh, I, I but that's this goes back to what I was saying at the start is that I went to college to change my life. So when I was studying at college, I was working night shift uh, during the night in the supermarket, and I was going to college in the morning. I still had my my Safeways uniform on. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Safeways, mm. but I used to work a night shift in Safeways, and I would go to college with my uniform on in the morning. Um, but yeah, so so and I've always had another job. I've always kind of. Uh, whether it be running theatre company or running theatres or whatever else, but yeah, during the lockdown, so so kind of. Before lockdown, things were going really, really great uh, for me, and they're still going great just now. But just, just in terms of the acting career, I had a, I had a, a movie lined up, I had two theatre shows lined up, um, and we're looking ahead as in the diaries as an actor. That's a pretty good year to be looking ahead at. And uh, and lockdown happened. Obviously, nobody knew what was going on. Uh, so for the first six months, it was like a compulsory break. Which, to be honest, I think I needed it. when you're kind of self-employed like that. You kind of you, you don't take a break, you know. I, I, I take I take holidays for one job to do another job. That sort of thing goes on in my life. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So when the lockdown happened, there was a compulsory break. You know, in the back garden a lot. Uh, the clear skies because there's no planes there. There's no cars moving anywhere. Lots of barbecues. You know, uh, painting the fence and doing all the things that we all probably did. Uh, and then after about six months ago, like, I need a job. I need to do something. And uh, I went on to the job sites and there's no acting work, there's no theatre work, everything's closed. And the only jobs I could see were care jobs. And uh, I don't have a background in that whatsoever, other than, you know, my mum looked after my gran for a wee while before my gran passed away. Uh, but certainly it wasn't my job, it wasn't my role to do a lot of that. I was just there to help when I could. So I went into the interview and I kind of chatted about that. It was the only experience I had was supporting my gran. And, uh, and we did a lot of training. Uh, they gave me the job and I did loads of training about how to you know, peg feed someone, how to lift someone in a hoist, and uh, how to save someone's life if they're choking, and loads of different training that I, I was going, what are they preparing me for, Jesus? And uh, and then they matched me up with a young autistic lad. And uh, I remember the first day I went in, and the young lad was watching a DVD three times in a row. It was Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and, uh, and I sat down on the couch with the other guy that was there, and I'm sitting thinking, is this what the guy's life is, just watching a DVD three times a day? And then the next day when I go up, I'm I'm now in charge. They hand you the keys. That's you done your shadow shift, they call it. That's me learned the job. And the, the young lad is running rings around me. You know, he's opening cans of juice out of the cupboard and uh, eating all the stuff he's not supposed to be doing and everything else. I'm going, oh, no, he's running rings around me. So I thought, we'll jump into the car and we'll go a drive and I'll, I'll take him to like a castle. If he likes Beauty and the Beast, maybe we'll, we'll take him to a castle. So obviously from doing the theatre tours for years, I knew all the castles in Scotland. I'd been all the theatres. And, uh, and we started kind of going out that way. And then it was days we'd go long, long walks and stuff like that. And kind of getting, getting the boy out of the house. And I knew he'd spent a lot of time in the house. And he, and he was capable a lot more than what he was doing when I started. Um, to give you an idea, the two years I worked with him, we, we, the young lad went on helicopter trips. Um, we got him a jacuzzi out his back garden. We climbed loads of big hills, lots of walking. Uh, he, he was losing weight because of the amount of walking and fitness we were doing. Uh, we would be taking like bottles of water rather than cans of Coke when we're going to walk. So when you get thirsty, there's only water. So his palate was changing, his diet was improving, and it was such a rewarding job. Uh, I mean, I was 
coming home from work highs a kite. My wife said that to me. She said, I mean, the movies are great and the theatre's wonderful. She's like, but I've never seen you chat so passionately about when you're chatting about the young lads, you know, but, you know, and I'm going, but you never get a job like this in your life. You're making a difference to someone's life. It's incredible. So I did that for two years. And uh, after two years, obviously, the, the pandemic kind of finished up and the theatres opened back up again. And you know, kind of, I, I, I went back into the industry that I was from. Uh, but but one of the things that uh, inspired was my wife Karen and I uh, decided to become foster carers. So um, so we've been foster carers now for three years, and we'll get two amazing kids that stay with us on a permanent basis. And uh, they're they're fourteen and thirteen. They've been with us for two and a half years. And again, forget about BAFTAs, forget about awards, forget about anything. You know, kind of I'd imagine how good it must have felt for Brian scoring goals at a professional level, uh, looking after the kids and seeing them growing and developing. Is, is the best feeling in the world. I mean, I gave the kids a wee incentive the other week. It was uh, fifty pounds if you can pass the driving theory test. Now, at the at the time they were they were twelve and thirteen, so you know, no no twelve or thirteen year olds are driving cars yet. Uh, so uh, so, but but they did every day. They came home from school. And they did a a theory test every day, and I, I think it took them about three three weeks, three and a half weeks, and they both passed it, and they fleeced me for fifty quid. So <laughs> things like that is the best feeling in the world. Do you know I mean like that is the best feeling in the world of going? And then I met my nephew who's twenty one on the bus, and I was with with a young lad we look after, and uh, he said he said to me, I, I said, how you getting on? He said, yeah, I failed my driving theory test, and without missing a beat, being the plonker that I am and the terrible uncle, I said, oh, the wee man passed it. He's only thirteen, so you can imagine how great my nephew felt that a thirteen-year-old's passed it and he, he failed it. Someone obviously uh, hadn't, but, but hadn't yeah. given him a bung. That's obviously why. He didn't, uh... Yeah, that's it. So there's a, a motivation and incentive in that. So I've got to be careful with that because uh, make a lot of money out of me when I put a wee incentive like that one. So, but yeah, yeah, that that I mean that's the most important role I've ever done, and it's it's by far the the, the best thing we've ever done in our lives, my wife and I. So so very proud of, of that. Well, well, you said that that's the best role you've ever done. Um, if we Think about the acting again. Um, what are the best parts that you've been up for that you didn't get? Oh, easy, easy one. That one I was up for Pennyworth, which was the Batman spinoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll get down to the last two for Pennyworth, and uh, it was uh, it was. So I don't know if you know Pennyworth, but Pennyworth it was uh, it was Alfred the Butler's story before he became the Butler for Bruce Wayne. So mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I get down to the last two to be the Glaswegian ex SES alcoholic best mate of Alfred from when he was in the, the military and obviously I'd already played a soldier in the in the British Army and, and when I played Stu Pearson in, in Kajaki and I was desperate to get it and I got down to the last two and at the time I didn't know who I was up against uh, and, I, and I lost out and I lost out to an actor that uh, I actually knew uh, Ryan Fletcher and uh, Ryan's a brilliant actor a really good guy and I knew he'd, he'd had a bit of a tough time as well like Acting can be, you know, famine and feast. You go a long time without stuff. So when I heard Ryan had got it, you know, I wasn't too disappointed. And uh, Ryan's a fiery redhead. So uh, the joke I have with Ryan is they cast Willie for The Simpsons, you know, a big American mm. show and they cast Willie for The Simpsons, you know. That, so <laughs> I was a bit of laugh at that. But that, that would have been a great one. I'd have loved to have done that. And I've been up for Vikings three times. And, you know, he's, he's, I mean, the best one I've got is Outlander by far. I remember sitting watching Outlander in the house and saying to the wife, how good would it be if I came in on a horse or something like this? You know what I mean? If I got a part in this, it would be amazing. So, uh, so there's been a few ones like Vikings or Pennyworth where you get to watch it in the house and you're going, oh, God, I love him <laughs> that, you know? So, but, uh, but you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned Outlander there. I mean, a bit like when we, we had Packy Lee on the other week, you know, and you land a role like that and, uh, in a show that everyone everyone watches, everyone talks about. I mean, that's got to completely raise your profile and probably impact on the, the the jobs that you get going forward after that. 
probably changes your whole profile. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's loads of lessons within it. To be, I'll, I'll make a, a, a kind of a good wee story for any aspiring actor. So I, I'd been with an acting agent for, I think it was five years or whatever, and I'd got Angel Share, got Kajaki, and I landed Outlander. And, uh, and, and you know, like anything, you want everything to come faster than it does. But when you join the dots back, looking backwards, everything's happening at the right time for the right reason, and uh, and you've got to trust it. Uh, but I, uh, when I got Outlander, I thought, I'm going to go, go down to London and get a London agent and jump kind of, on and try and try and get bigger roles for this, um, and uh, and I went to London. I was with an agent for a year, and it didn't work out. And another agent for a year, it didn't work out. And I wish I hadn't left the agent that I was with because I had a great relationship and everything. And just that wee thing of thinking the grass is greener sometimes. I think I thought you know a new agent would be able to get me more work than the last agent. Um, and I'm I'm now now very happy with the agent I've got, and it's an Edinburgh based agent, which is so it's being a Scottish based actor it's kind of it suits you particularly in a world where you can zoom to anywhere in London so it's not that you don't get seen you don't need to be jumping on planes to London as much as you used to be um, but yeah in terms of the life changing it's it's phenomenal in a show like that and uh, and I mean we, we got we went to the BAFTAs you know numerous times uh, we're invited to meet the Queen uh, the palace and stuff like that and uh, and comic cons all over the world being in Germany France Canada you know the sort of stuff Brian's chatting away there is maybe getting to go to, to some fantastic places with the supporters clubs. There's there's Outlander supporters clubs all over the world as well. So my wife and I have been all over the world and we deliver theatre workshops and we've raised money for, you know, various uh, charities in France. We raised a lot of money for school in France and stuff like that. And that was just, the, the teacher was an Outlander fan. She asked me to go and do a workshop with the kids. I went over, did a workshop, met the kids, thought you could do a bit of support. We, we raised a couple of grand for the school and stuff and sent them different merchandise and stuff so stuff that's incredible um but the other aspect of it and brian probably identify with this the other thing is uh, you've got to be able to manage the the kind of the, the the kind of come down after it of going from those highs to then settling back into going right need the next job you know what's what's the next thing going to be um and i suppose footballers must have that when they when they come in at maybe the end of the career it's a, you know you've been doing that and you're looking going, what can i do next well acting's a wee bit like that because you get i'm 40 now so i won't be playing romeo ever again certain roles that have passed you by now you're not going to get to do those because you're older um, so you're kind of looking at new roles and new ways of, of doing things and uh, and what you want, what you, how you want to spend your time you know kind of so um, but uh, but yeah it was an incredible journey and I think I went from having a couple of thousand Twitter followers to over half a million so it's had a huge impact on on the social media which helps with things like Billy and Tim and other shows helps you uh, people people see an outlander but they come and see the other stuff you've done which is incredible i didn't know whether you had anything else up your sleeve brian before we I move just on to just about um outlander there it's a hell of a hat you're wearing and a hell of a bonnet did you get to keep that <laughs> uh no what, what did that so uh, most people get asked when they're on a big show like that did you manage to did they give you anything to take away or did I you, just thought you just blagged it you know that yeah, bonnet. So, uh, it's a rascal of a bonnet so, so i didn't get the bonnet because that that's that's someone's job of the, they've got to keep a hold of that but I did get my finger and I wouldn't be rude to show you what finger it was but it was uh, in one of the scenes I, I've got a fish hook through my yeah, finger and they made, they made a mould of my finger uh, and uh, and I got I got to keep so I've got a, I've got a, a fake finger from that um, and Kajaki I've got my dog tags for the movie and, uh, and the angel share I don't have a script for which is really strange so in my house I've got like Outlander scripts on the wall I've got uh, Kajaki script on the wall signed by all the cast and there's nothing for uh, Angel's here because there was no script which was incredible it'd be nice to have a um, 
you know, a full ginger bottle full of the whiskey from Angel Share. <laughs> well, that's it? that's true. Well, you're talking about whiskey, right? So there's a wee story. Billy and Tim jumped back to the play. Uh, I found the play almost two decades ago in a library, but Des Dillon, who wrote it, has wrote, written it about 12 years before that. So the play that people are coming to see is 30 years in the making. And if it was a whiskey, it'd be very expensive. So, uh, so yeah, that's just, it's like a fine whiskey is the theatre show. It took 30 years in the making for you to come and see it. Previously on Life with Brian. I said, Prime Minister, stop talking. And I'm peeing against the wall and there's two old guys behind me. And one says the other, the laddie doesn't care any better. Pubic hairs on a cracker, the worm sandwich, he actually chewed it. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As is customary, we have a quiz for Brian and our guest, and we couldn't make it about anything else other than the old firm this time, could we? So let me introduce you to this meticulously researched challenge we're calling, Is It a Billy or a Tim? And here are the rules. It's a penalty shootout five attempts each and you have to tell us whether the answer is either rangers by saying billy or celtic by saying tim uh, and for those celtic fans who are listening for the sake of this daft quiz on a daft podcast we're ignoring any shouts of rangers being more than one club uh, that's for you guys to argue with uh, argue over on social media so please don't write in with any complaints um scott brian are you both happy with the rules I'm happy that now if I lose, I'll be I'll be questioning it. I'll be a VAR and everything. Right. Brian's on a Brian's on a bit of a streak, isn't he? No, I'm not. No, I've lost. No, no, he's he's looking down there. He's sitting there. I've lost. Uh, the oh, there's no chance he knows the. Well, he might he might know one or two of these, but there's a couple that he's never going to get unless he's just stabbed in the dark. So, um, Scott, you're our guest, so you're going to get the uh, honour of going first. And um, so it's this: Who has the most Scottish Cup final appearances up to the 22-23 season? Hey, that's Billy. Oh, you've missed your first one. That's actually Tim. Uh, I, know, but I, had, I had to go with my team. I had to go with my team. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to do oh, that for every question, you're going to, oh, going to get back. You better, you better get one right, isn't it? Yeah, you, well, I think you're better off to go with your head rather than your heart. Um, Celtic lead that by 59 to 52, and they've also won it the most times, having done so 41 uh, on 41 occasions. Okay. Similar sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Similar vein for this one for you, Brian. Uh, your opener is, which club has the most Scottish League Cup final appearances up to and including the current 23-24 season? Billy. He knows that one. Stuck in his throat. But, rain- yeah, Rangers are ahead on this one. Narrowly, 37-36. Uh, to 36. Yeah, he was pretty confident there, being, having just been uh, one different. He just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so that's uh, so that's one nil to to Chucky. All right, so Scott, you're playing catch up. Um, and your second one is this: which club has been top flight runners up the most up to last season, which was 2022 23? Because because um, Celtic have, have won so many recently that I'm, I'm going to go with Tim on that one. 
Oh, my. <laughs> You've missed again. This one's Billy. Oh, man. Well, but I again, it... when Rangers did nine in a row, I was thinking, well, Celtic were running up for those nine years, but Rangers have just had the the, 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 mm. the nine years of our, our medicine of, of having to sit and watch Celtic winning for nine years in a row. Yeah, oh, well. it is, it's close again, uh, the margin being uh, 34 to 32. Ah, yeah. Okay, right. Chucky, phone away, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your second one is, which club, including recent youth teams, has notched up the most Glasgow Cup victories? Billy. Yeah, looked at the look in your eyes made, was that an educated guess, was it? <laughs> he spat that one out, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true, Billy. No, uh, no. You don't want to... It was a guess. I have played in the Glasgow Cup final at Ibrox. So. Okay, all right. Well, I assume you lost, judging by the pain on your face. Uh, yeah. I know I scored the penalty, but I can't remember what the final score was. Okay. Well, Rangers are quite a way ahead in this one by 58 wins to Celtics 40. Yeah. Okay, Scott, pressure really is on now. Um, yeah. So we're up to we're up to penalty number three. Uh, and uh, the question is, um, which club has reached the Champions League knockout stages the most, going back to its formation in 1992-93? I'm going to go with Rangers, Billy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, not another one. Um, <laughs> it's it's actually Celtic, so it's a Tim. Um, Celtic, yeah, they're, a, they're ahead. They're ahead. Uh, by... <laughs> <laughs> they're ahead by uh, three qualifications to one. Um, but you might not be surprised to learn that neither have ever been beyond the round of 16. No. Uh, oh, I mean, well, the year Rangers should have won it, mind you, when they got GTF for Marseille. You've got to remember that. Oh, that was... Uh, well, that was that was um, just group stage, wasn't it? And you had to, uh, you had to, there was only two groups, and mm-hmm. whoever won the groups got to the straight final. That was the year. That was that was yeah. the year. Mm-hmm. Is anyone keeping an eye on the score here, by the way? Oh, it's 2-0 two, it's two to Brian at the minute. Don't you worry, Brian, does the score. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's gonna put it on his honours board along with you know those four Premier League titles and uh Brian, your third one is this. Which of these clubs has the most of its former players inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame, excluding any entire do you want me shall I finish the question or are you blazing oh, it? Billy. So you're saying Billy. Okay. Excluding any entire teams, for example, the Lisbon Lions, so just players on their own. And the actual answer is Tim. Is it? I'm still in the game there. Celtic, yeah. top, Celtic, yeah. Celtic top the chart with this one, 29 to 27. Uh, there's one person in the Hall of Fame who can't have a both size. Care to take a guess who it was? They play for both teams. Yeah. Scottish Football Hall of Fame. There's only about 20 people have done that or something. There's not too many. There's, there's one, one that everyone knows of, though. No, no, um, oh, the unmentionable one, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how's it? How's he in there, and you're not? Well, he's a better player than me. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you ask. Um, yeah, all right, Scott. Scotland, so, anyway. yeah, uh, right, Scott. Scott, you're back in. You're back in the uh, back in with this. He's left the that's door not, open that's for not you. Good thing. <laughs> right, um, one right. Now, okay, we're we're notching up the difficulty from this point. Um, I've already got three wrong. <laughs> All right, well, just... <laughs> give me some of Brian's place. <laughs> you, I'm 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 kind of hopeful you're going to get this one. Uh, which which club's home ground lies closest by road to Glasgow's George Square? Yeah, that's definitely Tim. It definitely is, Tim. Yeah, Celtic Park is <laughs> apparently is two point three miles from the, the centre of the city. 
What do you mean, uh, apparently, yeah. Mark, you were up there pacing it out the other day, you told me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had a yardstick thing that the surveyors have. Uh, yeah, so Celtic Park's 2.3 miles away, and Ibrox is four point miles, uh, 4.1 miles away. So, okay, you're back in it. It's 2-1 to Brian, yeah. Okay, I'm just reading this one ahead so I don't make any mistakes. Because these are obviously sealed in an envelope before we do this, you know. I don't get yeah. these. Uh, independent, independently verified. Yeah, yeah. So, Chucky, uh, this will off- test how often you play board games. <laughs> Which team name, Rangers or Celtic, scores the highest in a game of Scrabble? Uh, no double or triple word scores. Team. Yeah. Scores highest. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, don't look like that. Like you, like you never used to play Scrabble on the back of the bus. Really. Pressure's got to him. It's uh, it's Tim. Celtic will score you ten. Celtic will score you ten points. While Rangers will only get you seven. Surprise me there, being a being a wordsmith. That's yeah. it. That's that's two on with one penalty each. Is that left to go? Is that right? Yeah, it so. is. Okay. <laughs> right, Scott. Here we go. In Brian's final season with Celtic, which was nineteen eighty six eighty seven, which club? Pulled in the highest aggregate home league attendances, so all the home gates added together. Oh, Brian's final season was eighty six. Eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, I was only born in eighty three. That's no excuse. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think when the new Parkhead was built. That was later, so it'd been bigger. I'm going to go with Billy. Oh, nice one. You've slotted that away nicely. Yes, it is, yeah. Billy. Um, Rangers Rangers were much further ahead on this than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. Their total was 809,215 mm-hmm. to Celtic's 561,505. I'm assuming you must have been playing terribly that year, Brian, that it made people stop coming. That was after he handed in that transfer request. They obviously... Ah, that was, oh, right, OK. So all his groupies <laughs> stopped, was, uh, stopped coming, uh, eh? Graham Sinus was buying all the seats at... <laughs> there wasn't actually people there there was just that Sunnis was buying all the mm. so that's two two that's all two two right so, yeah. two two right let's just sit there for a minute we don't need to just yeah. enjoy this yeah go up to him start scuffing the penalty spot whisper yeah. in his ear yeah uh, Brian you're finishing the quiz with this tapping which club has the best top flight goal difference up to the end of the 2022-2023 season so that's only 130 odd years worth of uh, Scottish League football there you have to consider. Really? No, he, he did tap it in. He, he didn't, the pressure didn't get to him. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, 130 odd years of football, as Mark said. And uh, yeah, the, but interesting, the gap between them was only 10 goals. Rangers yeah. on top. Rangers on top with a plus 5,278 goal difference mm. to Celtics plus 5,268. And that includes the four seasons where Rangers took a little holiday, should we say? So uh, yeah, and as, as the Rangers legend manager Bill Struth said, uh, the man who can smile and defeat is far more likely to win the next time out. So well done, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a rematch when we're all in Coatbridge. Dip your hand in the mailbag, please, Matthew, and see what our listeners have sent in for Brian and Scott. Okay, I've had a good rummage around. Scott, first one's for you. Jim Burke asks, has anyone ever really taken the play the wrong way and thought, hey, you know what? Sectarianism is actually pretty cool. 
I don't know, it's a, it's a tough one for me because I, I lost the show, right? Um, so the, the rights for the show were taken away from me um, after I had the show for five years. And, um, and there was different producers over the years. And I've never seen the show, so I can't possibly kind of comment on that. But I do remember at points there was posters that I seen for the show and it was like, you know, Scotland's two biggest bigots are back stuff. And I was kind of going, our show was very much an anti-sectarian comedy and there's a real anti-sectarian message within it. Um, so when I seen that on the posters, I was kind of going, "That's no then. That's not the same show we were producing then, even though it was the same script." Um, and, uh, and 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 on our posters, uh, the, the latest posters we've done, you know, the, the tagline at the bottom is a, a potent allegory for peace processes all over the world, and that is it. It's, you know, it's, you, you, when you're creating a piece of theatre, um, it's it's to try and you know kind of create a, a, an emotion and 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 a, and a reaction from people, but also as a bit an aspect of it to to make you look at yourself and uh, and and hopefully bring out something good in the characters and the characters go on a, on a journey of of discovery and they they grow up I think over the course of the 90 minutes but uh but yeah so so I think there's an aspect of that that when we we seen the the latest public use of the script there was certain maybe jokes and stuff that we were going that, that, that was the end of the last version and I don't think we'll keep we'll put that in um so uh, so so yeah, but I don't know in terms of the audience. Certainly, you know, it comments maybe somebody would be drunk in the front row and say something sometimes at certain different shows or something. But uh, but again, this probably goes back to I said to you about the Aberdeen audience that were kind of a, more a theatre audience that were educated. I, I hadn't been involved in theatre, I hadn't been involved in amateur theatre, so I had no expectations how an audience would behave. Whereas Colin Little, who plays Tim in the show, Colin grew up in an amateur dramatic background, so when people would come in and they would maybe sing along or shout out certain things, I, I didn't know that they weren't they supposed to do that. So I wasn't really phased. Whereas I think Colin was a wee bit like, I wish, I wish they would let us do the talking and the singing and, you know, tell the story. We don't, yeah. we don't need them to join in and put these things in. So, so yeah, but it's a passionate subject, isn't it? Yeah, Something- I suppose it's so sensitive that some people could actually just see the poster or see the, some promo for it and actually think it's a bit of a, and take it seriously you know maybe like like when dave allen used to take the piss out of the catholic church you know people almost bite and think without actually seeing the irony in it um so you we, we were a bit worried when we went to belfast well I, I drove to belfast in a van that had the poster on the side of the van because i was naive and didn't really realize i'd never been to belfast before so when i jumped onto the ferry and drove my van that had a big billboard on the side of it over in northern ireland I, I didn't quite expect the pavements to be painted and the murals on the walls and stuff and a wee bit naive, so we had to hide the van at the waterfront theatre in Belfast for, for the weekend, and I didn't move it. It was a bit like Belfast for the, the, the security gates, you know, they checked the van for explosives and stuff, and then we parked it into the bay, which was a big, surrounded by a giant fenced wall, and we left the van there all weekend, and we walked yeah. back and forward to the theatre rather than driving. It made it back. <laughs> made it back. Yeah, all, but, all but the audience in Belfast did say that it was funny to see two Glaswegians arguing about something that in their eyes was nothing to do with them. So that was the response we got for a lot of the, the audiences in Belfast and stuff. Cool. Good question. John Brooke asked you, uh, which footballer would you want to play in a biopic? And Chucky, which actors would you want to play a younger and an older version of you in a biopic about your life? So we go with you, Scott. Um, okay, it was so difficult. I mean, in terms of, because uh, I'm, I'm thinking who would I maybe look like? There's That's one aspect of who would I like to play like? Uh, I mean, to me, I grew up in the kind of nine in a row season, so um, Ryan Loudrop was was the kind of hero of that time for me. Even how he conducted himself and how he looked at things, I always remember watching an interview and he said, "You know, I, I love the football, and, and uh, when it gets into religion, no, that's not for me." 
and I just I really liked liked him. Um, so something like that. But I'm probably more likely to get cast as Charlie Miller than anybody because <laughs> Charlie's been just up the road. Do you know what I mean? I got a good Glasgow boy. So uh, so it's probably that's probably more likely if they were making a a, a, a biopic on Charlie Miller. Well, they can but, be wonderful. Uh, what do you mind playing Ali McBoys? They grew up, I loved Ali as well growing up. So there you have got a feast of, of of proposals. I'll take any. I can, do, I can do wonders with makeup these days, you know. Uh, That's true, yeah. Talking of which, I'm sure we had this question sometime. But when, it's, when we had Michelle Rue on, we were discussing uh, who, who might play you in a... In no, a... it was... Uh, was it um, was it John Bradley, maybe, from Game of Thrones? Oh, but yeah, yeah, we yeah. picked a few Scottish actors out, didn't we, for Brian? We got... Um, oh, God, what was his name again? The guy from Game of Thrones who played uh, in, in Bodyguard, Richard... Richard ever... Madden. Richard Madden. Ah, okay. No, no one sense that you suddenly thought, Brian, oh, you know what, I'd love him to play a young version of me. When... <laughs> well, Martin Compton was the other one, but we'll, right. I think we yeah, slated him in for Martin, Paul. Yeah. We said Paul yeah. McStay for him, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, we're, we're still working on that that series, aren't we? So uh, mm. we'll do that when we come to it. Um, well, I, I, did get, I did get auditioned for Jock Steen in one of the Celtic stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, no? some, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, know, I don't know what the story was going to be, but they asked me if I would be interested in playing yeah. Jock Steen. Um, I could see, I was I mean, looking at the photographs, I was going, I could I could do that, I could get there. I could see it, yeah. I, what a part, <laughs> part that would be. Um, Chris Harris wants to know, Chucky, if there are, are or ever have been any circumstances where where you would have worn a Glasgow Rangers shirt. Would there ever be any circumstances? Well, have, would, there, have, have there been, been or would there be? No, no, there wasn't any opportunities. Stag do or something. No, no, someone There's no photographs out there, Brian. <laughs> no, uh, there were, there <laughs> were people who said... There, there were, there were some killed. notable people said that uh, it should have been me that uh, rather than uh, the unmentionable one that uh, was mm. the first one, you know. So there was that mention, you know, so... But uh, there's nothing kicking around in any... Uh, in that loft in Cope Bridge somewhere, an old Polaroid <laughs> An old black and white picture of you in a Rangers shirt. No. Yeah, we have blouse, a blouse on. In <laughs> He'd rather admit to wearing a blouse uh, than a, a yeah. Rangers shirt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a blouse and a, a girl's kilt. Uh, <laughs> I think we'd say that as a no. I mean, white I, socks. Okay, all right. Enough of this now. You're getting carried away. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could ask you, Scott, the same about donning a green and white hoop shirt. Has it ever happened? Yeah, I think I have over the years. Obviously, growing up in my household with my older brother, I'm sure there, there'll be footage somewhere. Um, and obviously, in, in the show, there's uh, we, we do a bit of, uh, what do you call it, promo and stuff like that for it. So uh, at the moment, I've got half and half tops for the kids. Yeah. So we, we, we went to the shops, bought a Rangers top, a Celtic, well, bought two, and then went to the tailors and asked them to cut them in half. <laughs> uh, which I got some funny looks and then I asked the tailor to sew them back together again and then I had to take them into Greve Sport in Glasgow and asked them to put uh, Billy Tim 24 on the back mm. of my website oh, this is sudden... and again so shameful marketing uh, this is bro, it's yeah. probably the only way you're going to get away with that though isn't it yeah <laughs> the, kid, the kids have wore them for some of the promo days but I don't think they like the looks they got and, and what I say to people is they say, why did you do the half and half? I said, because if they if they wore the blue and they went up to you know Celtic base, then they would get you know they wouldn't get a great reception and vice versa. So the idea of half and half, at least you know, kind of there'll be there'll be you know 
uh, half loved and half hated by by <laughs> either side. So, but, but I think those two. I don't think the kids want to wear them again. So I think I'm going to get them framed. Uh, at, uh, the, the Celtic Foundation contacted me asking for a kind of raffle prize, and I thought I'll try and get. Uh, I'll get them framed. I'll give them a, a charity for either side, and they can maybe raffle them off and raise some money. Have they got any allegiances? The kids, yeah, no, and I, I don't even watch uh, the the football in the house or anything. And I never kind of grew up in a household that watched the football. But I did get in. We were in, and we put our noses against the window at the pub and watched the football. Um, so, uh, but no, I, I try not. I, I try not because uh, I don't want to steer anybody. Do you know what I mean? I think, uh, and they're interested in lots of different things. So uh, they have been. I, did, I got some tickets to go to Parkhead, and I took. Uh, the kids along to Parkhead at Christmas. They were more excited about the selection boxes that they were getting <laughs> in the stadium than anything else. Uh, they haven't been to Ibrox yet because I've not had any tickets. I've took them to see Partick Thistle and uh, and uh, I've took them to see the rugby and stuff like that as well. So, um, so yeah. But uh, but I'd, uh, again, I think there's that many other things that kids are interested in now. I think we we grew up in a generation where it was it was everybody was into football. There's so many. Yeah. We've been to the ice hockey and all that stuff with them. So. There's a lot of other interests I've got as well. Um, yeah, but they're excited. Ones, so. They want to see the show. They're really keen to see the show. <laughs> so the kids haven't seen me in any. They, they, they're too young to watch Angel Share, too young to watch Kajaki, mm. too young to watch Outlander. So they, they, they've been in, you know, there's, there's, say, there's photographs and there's things in the hallway on the wall and stuff like that. And they've, uh, they've, there's photos of my old high school that they go to. So they're aware of what I do, but they've not seen me doing it. Uh, they've even been to drama workshops where I'm teaching. Which, uh, which they didn't like. <laughs> got all that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, it's our old friend Cumbrian Dave uh, with a message for Jockey. Who was the best Rangers player you played against? Richard Goff. Straight mm. away. Yeah. Uh, just, what, marked you out the game, did he? Roughed you up? Gave you a few digs? Oh, that's all of that, of course, uh... Yeah, he's just he was <laughs> just did great, it better than anyone else. Ah, he's a really very good football player. Yeah, very interesting person as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any others that come to mind? Um, he wasn't usually on the pitch long enough. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, had some great players coming with him. I mean, in that season, you know, he, Terry Butcher and um. Robert Pritz was always a difficult opponent. He always played well for for Rangers and old film games. Okay, well, we'll put Richard Goff down to the answer for that one from Cumbrian Dave. So, uh, and that uh, that wraps up the mailbag. Yeah, let's bring down the curtain on this episode then. And firstly, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. No worries, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you very much. I've, I've, I've laughed and sang and danced and cried and I've, I've had my, my head in my hands at that quiz, but, but I've gone through it. Um, can you tell us where to find out more about singing I'm No Billy, uh, He's a Tim, and where to get tickets and so on? Yeah, so all the information's on my website, which is www.scottkyle. So that's Scott with two Ts, K-Y-L-E.co.uk. Uh, um, and we're doing the Pavilion's a big one in Glasgow. We're going to Belfast in May. We're doing London in May as well. But all those dates and just a town near you. I think there's 50 different venues. So as, as Brian says, even if you're on the move, you'll be able to catch it somewhere, wherever you are. Fantastic. Well, we wish you all the best with that and hope it's hope it's as successful now as it has been when you did it, what, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll be already got. We've opened the 2025 ticket sales for Glasgow. So that's a good indication that there's still an audience for the show because... 2024 is almost sold out and 2025 started selling already. So that's October 2025 in Glasgow. So we're doing okay for selling tickets that far in advance. 
Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Chucky, Matthew, thank you. And uh, we'll see you. Well, I certainly will see both of you two very soon. Yeah, yes, we'll, we will. Yeah. Uh, and to you, dear listener, thanks for being with us. Um, please hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us a nice review as well, because apparently that makes the podcast more visible. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Brian McClare Pod. And also take a look at what's on offer at the Sports Social Podcast Network, of which we are just a small part. Um, we'll see you again soon. So bye for now. Life with Brian. Life with Brian. Talking films all Life with Brian, talking TV and food. Life with Brian, talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, talking politics and football. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, life with Brian. Podcast Network.